everyone and welcome to another episode of Ask Shane Anything. We're headed into the weekend here. We're just one week away from Labor Day weekend. Hope you guys are planning something fun to do for the long weekend in a week. But this weekend, you also have some fun stuff to do. You could be playing Armored Core 6 or I do wonder if some of you took the risk on Immortals of Avium. We'll be covering both of those games on Game Face on Tuesday. Uh, but before then, just want to remind you guys that this show is a reward for those of you who pledge at $7 or more per month. Well, really, this show happens because some of you guys pledge at $7 or more per month. Everybody gets to watch the show. However, those of you who pledge at that tier or higher do have a better opportunity to get your questions in the show. We have another round of awesome questions for me this week. Let's get to them. Our first question in this week's episode comes from somebody who worked on a very big game that you're all enjoying right now, and that is Sound Wizard. I recently completed my work on Baldur's Gate 3, great work by the way, which is a very long game. I'm curious, have you ever given up on a game solely because of its length? What do you consider the ideal length for a game, assuming the presentation and gameplay are both high quality? Great question, Sound Wizard, and I'll be, I'll be honest with you, man, like... Right now, I have six or seven games sitting on various hard drives of my consoles where I am literally at like the last couple hours of the game and I got right there and then had to put the game aside to start playing something else. So to answer your question, I quit a game a week because they're too long, meaning that they're longer than I have the time to play them before I need to turn the page. Now, I do realize that my answer isn't really in the spirit of your question. I think you're really asking, like, which games were did I, like, force myself to top, stop playing because they were too long, not because I had to move on and play something else. And to me, there's one clear game. And in fact, the last couple entries in this franchise have been the same way, and that is Assassin's Creed. Um, I used to be, and I mean, I'm still a huge fan of Assassin's Creed, but I used to be a gigantic fan, and I would try to finish those games as close to 100% as I could get. And the last couple entries, I'll just be honest, I got about 30 or 40 hours into them, and it wasn't even that the games became bad, or suddenly there was a dip in quality. It kind of stayed the same, but I just got to the point where I was like, man, I've played this for 40 hours. Things aren't changing all that much. I've got the gist of the game. I just didn't really see any reason other than the story to keep playing. And the story in the last couple of Assassin's Creeds, I don't feel like they've been great. They haven't been good enough to keep me playing anyway. I'll put it to you that way. So Assassin's Creed Valhalla definitely um, is one of the games that I quit playing simply because of its length. The game before, I enjoyed it more. I, Odyssey, I thought it was a better game um, than Valhalla, but it still got to the point where I was like, I feel like I'm kind of doing the same things over and over again. So Assassin's Creed franchise over the last like five or seven years has been kind of that way for me. Um, I'm excited for Assassin's Creed Mirage. It seems like it's going to be at a normal size where most people can finish it, which, which brings me to the second part of your question, which is what is the ideal length for a game? Now, I take into consideration that people are spending 60 or $70 for these things when I talk about the ideal length. And to me, I think the ideal length for a video game is somewhere in the 35 to 40 hour mark. Now I realize that that still seems gigantic for casual players. And I think casual players would prefer their games be more like 15 hours long. I'm obviously not casual. So as someone who's not casual and is pretty hardcore, but still I can reason 
I say like 35, 40 hours should be the max length of a game. I mean, that is still just a mammoth sized game that will still take you weeks and weeks to complete. And so the value proposition is satisfied there as well. Um, but I also feel like if you can't craft a good game that runs 35 or 40 hours, there's something wrong. Like, <laughs> honestly, when you talk about casuals, I think they have it right in that if you can't craft a really compelling game that makes it worth your time and money and 15 or 20 hours, you've got a problem. So if you get to 35 or 40 and you still can't do it, that's on the developer. So for me, easily, it's Assassin's Creed in general, but specifically Assassin's Creed Valhalla and to me, the ideal length for a game is 35 or 40 hours. I think that would satisfy pretty much every type of video game buyer. Next up, we have a question from someone who I thought we would get more questions from for this show, but we haven't, and that person is McWomble. With having 150 questions for Ask Shane Anything, how do you choose which questions to answer? Do you pick questions you think are topical for that week, see questions to bank for later when, they're, when they may be topical, and then just whatever to get through all Kevin's questions? <laughs> Well, the truth is there's way more than 150 questions to wade through in the forum thread that we use for questions for this show. There's way more than that at this point. Um, but to answer your question, like, number one, is it a good question? That's the most important part. Um, so I do that first. I skim through and try to find, from the new questions that are in the thread, and try to find ones that are good. Secondly, I, I wonder and I try to figure out, have I answered them already? Sometimes I go to the landing page for Ask Shane Anything where all the episodes are, and I'll use control F, which is control find, or trying to find something on a web page, and I'll search for key terms to see if I've actually answered those questions before. Um, sometimes I will answer the same question twice if somebody asked that question like a couple years ago or whatever in this show. Um, then I will answer it again if my perspective has changed. But for the most part, I try to answer unique questions every single time. So number two is I look for duplicates and make sure that it's a brand new question. And then number three um, is topical. Like I try to have at least one question in every episode of Ashley and Anything that is related to something that just happened. Um, and so sometimes I'll go to the very bottom of the list of questions to find something that somebody asked based on something that just happened like this week or whatever to try to have at least one topical question in each episode. And then finally, if I get to the point where I have two questions that I can't decide between whether to include them in the show or not, I'll just be honest with you, it's literally who pledges the most money. I mean, I you're kind of lucky that that's like the fourth criteria that I use to pick questions instead of like the first and I would argue that maybe some people who pledge $7 or more per month would prefer that that criteria is bumped up in the list. But I think ultimately, if the show isn't good, it doesn't matter, you know, what the questions are or what order the questions are. If nobody wants to watch it, it doesn't matter at all. So I think the first priority is making sure that the show is interesting and then making sure that it satisfies the people who are pledging at those higher tiers. So that's generally how I do it. McWomble, I do wish you would ask some real questions for Ask Shane Anything. Next up is Kevin time. We get one question from him in every episode. You guys may be wondering why that is. It's because he asks so many great questions that they deserve to be in the show on their own merit. So I need to make sure that I get one in at least every episode. Otherwise, they're all just going to go to waste. So anyway, here's Kevin's contribution for this week's show. How often do you use guides when playing games? What do you do when you have to play a game for review and you get completely stuck? Okay, so you have created the delineation for me. There's a clear line for me in my life, in my game playing life, that I separate and that that definitely impacts how often I check guides or if I check guides 
at all. So if I got a game early for review, like right now I'm playing Starfield, and there's no guides out there, and there's no help, and you get stuck. Um, not saying that I've been stuck in Starfield or whatever. I'm not saying anything about Starfield. <laughs> I'm just saying, generally, if I get a game early, and you're playing it early, and there's no hints or guides out there, you just have to fight through it a lot of times. But there are things that can help. So there's a Facebook group that I'm a part of called the Video Game Reviewers Roundup or whatever that has basically writers and editors from all different publications on it. And we use it as a tool to help each other in these situations. If you're stuck and there's no guide out there to help, you can, you know, basically put a little question in that Facebook group and hopefully eventually somebody will get back to you. Now I'll say this too, that group has kind of died off lately. It used to be very active, but for the last like year and a half, no one's really been posting there. I'm not sure why. Uh, maybe there just haven't been games where people have been getting stuck, but I just played The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom and my guess is now that there is some other private group that I'm not a part of where they are talking to each other. Um, and so that's how it generally works. There are these private groups that editors use to talk to each other about review code. And let's be honest, like the people who work at the big publications like IGN and GameSpot, Game Informer, places like that, they know each other. And so they have their own personal like phone numbers and they text each other and things like that when they get stuck. Um, that's how it generally works. Now, if I'm not playing a game early for review, or if I'm just playing a game for review at all, like I try to not use guides at all, ever. Um, when I'm evaluating a game for the purposes of talking about it on Game Face or writing a review or something like that. So I try like as much as I can to never ever use guides before I deliver my verdict on a game. Now, once I've talked about it on Game Face or written a review or whatever, then all bets are off. However, I still try to only use guides as a last resort, a last resort. After I've exhausted everything and I feel like I'm wasting my time, that's when I will go and I will check for something. Or if I wanna maximize my play time, sometimes like again, only after I've evaluated the game and, and all that sort of thing. After that's happened, I may like check a guide when I enter a new level to see if there are important things that I should be looking for, like items that I shouldn't miss, like a weapon that's essential to the rest of the game. Stuff like that, sometimes I will do a little bit of a preamble um, and make sure that I'm maximizing my time that I'm spending playing games. Instead of like going through a level, realizing you had missed 20 things, and then having to go back and get it later, sometimes I'll use a guide to maximize my time playing. And that's pretty much it. Um, I will say this a game that really put me to the test was Tears of the Kingdom because there are just some things in that game that like nobody's going to think to do what they're asking. Like there's dozens of moments in that game where like I was just like when I found out the answer, I was like, really? Like nobody was going to get that. I do feel for people who were reviewing Tears of the Kingdom um, before there were guides out and things like that. But again, I do think there's some group somewhere that a lot of these editors are using to help them get through stuff like this. So there are kind of mechanisms in place to help people who are trying to review games before there's information about them out there. But it is very frustrating. I remember it was either Metroid Prime 1 or Metroid Prime 2 I got really stuck on back in the day. And this was before there were any of these groups or anything. And I remember... I knew Mark McDonald from EGM, although I think he was working on game videos at the time or something. Um, I knew that he was also playing it and we were friends. So I sent him like an email and I was like, hey, I'm stuck on this one part. Um, and he was like, oh, I was stuck there too. He's like, shoot the floor. So there's this one room in the game that has like an ice floor 
and you needed to shoot the floor with a missile to blow up the floor and fall down, and I could not figure it out. I had been in that room like 20 times and never in a million years dreamed that I would need to shoot the floor because it was something that had never been introduced into the game or the franchise before. Um, and so he's like, shoot the floor. And then he goes, and then like two days later, he emails me and he was stuck on a different part that I had figured out. And so I was able to return the favor. So anyway, that's typically how that stuff works. Um, it can be very difficult and very frustrating to be playing some games, particularly games like Zelda, before they come out. Next up, we have a quick and easy question from Jay Lynn. And he asks, does vinyl sound better than digital? Now, obviously what he's asking about is, as you all know, I'm a DJ. I've been a DJ since like 1993. I've been buying vinyl since 1993. Now, I will admit, I have not bought a new house record at this point in over a decade because they just don't press them anymore. And there are no record stores anymore. So now everybody just downloads files off of uh, online stores like Beatport and places like that. Um, and so he's asking which sounds better because there is this thing that goes around in pop culture about how vinyl is, is better and has this rich sound to it. I guess the best way I can put it is it depends. So if you're sitting around casually listening to music, there is kind of a, I don't know how to put it into words, there's a warmth to it, I guess. Hearing the crackles and the pops of vinyl, it, it does something. And it's hard to put into words or verbalize exactly what it does, but it does make you feel like you're, I don't know, like it's more earthy and organic. It's strange. It's hard to explain. As someone who has never had a turntable or never really got into vinyl, it's hard to explain. But there is a different sound to vinyl. Now, whether you think it's better or not, I think that's entirely up to an opinion. And the other thing I would say, too, is it depends on where you're listening to it and under what conditions. So, again, lazy day around the house on a weekend. You put, you know, the needle down on your favorite record or whatever. It's fine. However... If you're a DJ and you're playing in venues with big PAs, big sound systems, there's a big difference between vinyl and digital. And in that case, digital is always the way to go because the sound is so much cleaner and crisper. And some would say it's a little sterile, but it makes a big difference when you're on a big sound system. Just the songs, the tracks sound so much better if you're using a digital file versus using a record. It just does. And then there's all the other X factors of using vinyl where people bump the turntables, it skips. If that's in the middle of a mix, you got a train wreck. Or people just like pouring stuff, spilling drink. I mean, there's a million reasons why for the live setting of clubs and raves and big festivals that it's better to use digital media. But again, there is a difference in sound. I do think it feels a little more homey a little more human when you play vinyl, and I think that's what people are attaching themselves to. But for the most part, for me, I only prefer one or the other depending on the venue and the sound system that I'm playing music on. All right, our last question for this week's episode comes from Mountain Lifter. What video game character do you like the most for the character, him or herself, and for the voice acting and or mocap? It does not have to be the player character. One of my top favorites is Haytham Kenway from Assassin's Creed 3 is acted by British actor Adrian Huff, who won a BAFTA for the performance. A close second would be David Bateson's voice performance as the iconic Agent 47. Okay, well, one of my favorite gaming characters of all time is Samus from the Metroid franchise. And I was, you know, playing games when Super Metroid came out. And 
the whole thing with her being a female was, you know, this big spoiler about the game. You guys just know that, or a lot of people just know that. They weren't there when it happened. They didn't play the game live and, be, and then discover that Samus was a woman, and you're like, oh my god. Um, so for that reason, um, she is one of my favorite characters of all time. Now, she doesn't talk much, and in fact, for most of the time, she hasn't had spoken dialogue hardly at all. I like that, too. I like that she's kind of a mute, and... Uh, you have to get to know her through her actions more than her words. And it seems like every time they do have her talk in a game, it's a huge mistake. So it's a little different than you because I haven't obviously haven't latched onto the voice acting of Samus for why I like her. I like her mystery. I like that she's a badass female character. Um, and I like her power suit and all the other stuff about Metroid as well. So she's one of my favorites, but it really has nothing to do with the voice acting. Um, the other thing I would say too is that a lot of the voice actors that people really love, like, I don't really care. <laughs> like, Troy Baker, if he's in a game, it doesn't matter to me at all. Like, I do not, it does not increase my anticipation for the game or decrease it. Like, he's just another voice actor to me. He doesn't really stand out at all. And I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like most of these superstar video game voice talents stand out. Um... To me, the ones that are the best are the ones that you don't know it's them because they're so talented that they can play a bunch of different characters and you can't recognize them. That's talent to me. Um, just using your voice that you were given with when you were born, is that talent or is that just luck? I don't know. Um, regardless, the people who seem to just worship or the people who are, are worshipped by players for being these great voice actors, I think honestly you're just like, well, he was Nathan Drake, so that means he's awesome. Like... I don't know. I guess I look at voice actors entirely differently. Um, I think one person who's really talented is Ashley Birch, and that's because of what I was saying earlier about how she can do a bunch of different voices, and you don't necessarily know that it's her. Now, some of the voices can be a little annoying. Like, her work in the Borderlands stuff, has I don't think it's been great, but it's the breadth of work that she's done and how she can use her voice in a bunch of different ways to create a bunch of different compelling characters. So I do admire her. It doesn't hurt either that I worked with her for a long time on Hey Ash, What You Playing at Game Trailers. She's just a really awesome person and good people as well. Um, so she's kind of one of my favorites, but I wouldn't say like, oh, I love this character that she played because of her. So I guess we just kind of look at it a little differently, but I would also say that I absolutely agree with you on Haytham Kenway from Assassin's Creed 3. Matt hates on Assassin's Creed 3 all the time. I really don't know why. I think it's great. It's one of my favorite Assassin's Creed's, and I think his performance is one of the reasons. So I agree. I agree with BAFTA that he deserved that award, and I also think Assassin's Creed 3 is a pretty damn good game. So um, I agree with you in some ways, but I think our perspective on voice actors is just a little bit different overall. <laughs> All right, that's it for Ask Shane Anything. Now, as you guys know, I will be out for Labor Day weekend. However, I am busting my butt here over the next like three or four days to make sure I have content for you guys while I am gone. So there will be episodes of Ask Shane Anything running while I am gone. I will be banking them. They may be a little shorter than normal because again, I have to get like four episodes of Pactor Factor done. I have to get all of my embargo coverage for Starfield done. Before then, I have to get another episode of Game Face ready for Tuesday, um, and then I have to do all the curation on the site, so I'm pretty swamped. But anyway, um, there will be Ashane Anything episodes rolling here over the next week and a half while I am gone for the Labor Day holiday, uh, so look forward to those. Thanks to everybody who's asked questions. Um, I mentioned in last week's episode we were running a little bit low, and I did notice that a bunch of you guys went in and added a bunch of new questions, which is great, but keep them coming, because again, we answer four or five in each episode, so I burned through them pretty quickly. So you can head over to that forum thread and ask me some questions, that'd be great, so that they're banked so I can produce those episodes 
over the next five or six days before I leave. That would be awesome. So anyway, thanks to everybody who pledges at that $7 or more per month tier. And without you guys, it definitely wouldn't happen because I'll be honest with you, like our our goal for actually anything is at like 4000 a month and we're a long way away from that. I probably shouldn't be doing this show, but because some of you guys have been so generous with those pledges, that's why I keep doing it. So you guys are awesome. I appreciate it. I appreciate all our patrons, of course. But those who pledge at that higher tier are really the ones who are making this show happen. So everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you on Tuesday for Game Face.